0: The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC can be found online at overlandpark.cc. Welcome to OPCC. Welcome to those of you joining online. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 10. We'll pick up where we left off last week. Noah had left the ark and um, had a downfall himself. And so we pick up um, after departure from the ark. Now... We look at the world today, and it's kind of crazy these times we live in. There's a lot going on in the world. It can be a little bit unnerving. We first have this war going on over in Ukraine, and now what is happening in Israel. Um, We've got aircraft carriers. They've moved over into the area, the president and the secretary of defense telling people to be on high alert. A little bit nerve-wracking, man. You just kind of wonder, why can't everybody just get along, right? like to feel like people could just get along and make the the most of it. The unity is such a special thing but such a difficult thing uh, to try to achieve in in any um, in any like country even but when we're talking globally um, it seems like it's ever fleeting. And the reason is because the more we try to unify in human power the more divided we actually become. And so the more in all of our humanness, we try to accomplish something, uh, we, come, we actually become more and more divided, and that's why a dictator or a tyrannical re- leader can rise to power. It's like if you can't get people on the same page uh, peacefully, we'll just make you do it or we'll take you out. And, and so we see a lot of that happening in history. Um, unity cannot be accomplished unless people understand each other, and that's the reality of it. And so the world is divided, and it has been um, since really this time that we're going to look at after they come off of the ark. There was kind of a unification around that time, but then uh, things really got into a mess after this last great unification that took place in chapter uh, 11 of the Bible. Now, in chapter 10, we have this famous uh, or fascinating passage of Scripture. It's called the Table of Nations. There's not another document in, in antiquity that's like it. No other historical document tries to explain where we get all of the different people groups in the world. And um, here we find in Genesis chapter 10 um, what the author is attempting to do as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit in writing this. He's explaining what happens to the people groups of the world geographically geographically and linguistically in chapter 10. Then when you get to chapter 11, he explains it theologically. And then you get to the end of chapter 11, he starts to talk about um, how God has laid out this promise that's going to happen through Abraham and makes uh, a covenant with Abraham. And we see that being played out. And the rest of the Bible is, is really just continuing to reinforce and teach us how we can listen to and obey the Lord. And so we're not going to go through all of the different, um, I'm not going to read through he begat him and she, he begat him because they're hard to pronounce, one, and two, it's it could be a little uh, not as fun, right? There there's some really cool stuff in there. Maybe a, a good uh, place to dive into that a little deeper would be in, uh, now that's a great question. So if you have some questions as you're reading through that and studying it, jot it down um, and reserve that for the next Sunday evening. Uh, question series. But what I am going to do is I'm going to focus on two things. One is this guy by the name of Nimrod. Um, anybody ever, you ever called anyone a Nimrod? Okay, yeah. You ever been called a Nimrod? <laughs> All right, so Nimrod, uh, he is made famous of to us in our uh, vernacular, I think, in our language by um, Bugs Bunny. That's what Bugs Bunny called Elmer Fudd, is Nimrod. I don't, so like, he was kind of making fun of him because Nimrod is called a mighty hunter before the Lord. And so it's, uh, it's not actually a derogatory term. I guess it is sort of because um, he's rebellious from the Lord. But um, as we will read about him when we get to him in, in chapter 10, um, we'll see uh, that he is referred to as a mighty hunter before the Lord. So I'm going to start in uh, chapter 10 verse 8, okay? And we get to mention, so basically in the table of nations, Moses is going down through there and he's telling us all the different descendants of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, okay? And when we get here in the middle, this is a really important part in verse 8, he says, Cush was the father of Nimrod, who became a mighty warrior on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That is why it is said like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. And the first the sinners first, uh, of his kingdom were Babylon, Uruk, Akkad, K- Kalnak, and Shinar, or in Shinar. And from that land, he went to Assyria, where he built Nineveh, Rehoboth, Ur, Kela, and Rezin, which is between Nineveh and Kala, which is the great city. Now, if I pronounce any of those wrong, just keep it to yourself. Okay, because I'm convinced that I did okay, and we'll just land right there. Uh, So like what we have is this guy, he is the first tyrannical leader to ever live, meaning that he used violence to make people do what he wanted them to do, and so he, uh, in that sense, was the builder of the first city, and he constructed what is known as Babylon, now, throughout the Bible from this point forward, we'll see that Babylon always um, is symbolic of rebellion against God. That's why you, when you get uh, to Revelation and it, it refers to Babylon, um, it's, it's speaking symbolically of a city whose builder is not God. And that's what is happening in what Nimrod attempts to do. So when we get to chapter 11, I've taught on this before. I think it's one of the coolest um, uh, passages of scripture in the Old Testament, because it gives a lot of explanation as to why we have so much division in the world uh, today, and, and even what's going on right now. And so when we drop to verse 11, he starts to talk about what Nimrod was doing as he was leading this people, uh, these people in this tyrannical way. He says, now the whole world had one language and a common speech. And as people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar, and they settled there. And they said to each other, come, let's make some bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. (laughs) Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. Now, the Lord didn't really come down to find out what was going on. He's omniscient. He already knew what was going on. The point of the writer is they thought they were doing something incredible, but in God's eyes, he's having to come down to even be able to see it because it's not that magnificent And when we think in um, terms of the creator. The Lord said... If it's one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it, is, it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. And from there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the earth. And so we have this um, account where these people were feeling really, really good uh, about uh, how things are going. The world was smaller at this point. Um, it had a common language, so everybody, like, everybody spoke the same language. And that would be a pretty cool experience. I don't know if you've ever tried to speak to somebody who speaks a different language, but it can be very frustrating, especially if you're trying to get something done. Now, thank the Lord we have some advancement now. we got things like Google Translate, and you can pretty much talk to anybody. But um, in this particular time, they could just talk to everyone. There was no such thing as a foreign language because they all shared the same language. And it says that they moved eastward. And this is telling us that as people move eastward, where are they moving east from? They're moving east from Eden, which would have been symbolic of God's presence. And and mankind just continues to move further and further away from God. And uh, they have this technological advancement that takes place. What is it? They can make bricks. And so we saw that back when Cain went through a rebellion um, and he starts to build a city. He develops an economy and the arts and um, different things of that nature. They had some technological advancement. Then here they're having some technological advancement, industrial uh, sort of um, um, advancement that they no longer have to use stone. They had figured out, man, we can make some molds and put some muddy substance in there and make these things, they become as hard as stone and they're better because they're already in a shape that we can use them. We can make different sizes and use this, this tar, these tars that they would collect from the tar pits and they would use them to make them stick together as a mortar. And so uh, they had had some advancement. And, and so this guy by the name of Nimrod says, man, let's build a, a city so that we don't get scattered everywhere. And let's build a tower in the middle of it so that no matter how large we can get, we can kind of look back and see um, uh, where, where, where you're at in the city. And, and they basically are going to use the tower as he mentions it to, to heavens is, is basically saying, let's, let's make a religion for ourselves. Let's build a name for ourselves and make a, a religion for ourselves. And God had told them to scatter and Nimrod is leading them to gather And he's using um, this tower that it would have been built somewhere in the city as a religious uh, monument that they would use to worship. And so God comes down, man, and they're working on this thing. And they're all having a good time, man, and probably uh, singing the same kind of songs as they're working, man. And God comes down and just boom. And like you in this moment can't understand what your foreman's been telling you. And he's talking and he sounds like gibberish and you speak to it back to him and say, man, why don't you talk straight? And you sound like like, gibberish to him. And now you're trying to find anybody else that can understand how you're talking and you're recognizing, man, I can't find anybody. And then you eventually find some people and y'all start gathering together and all of a sudden you've got all these different language groups. People are freaked out and they do what God had told them they were supposed to do in the first place. They scattered from one another. And so even to this day, we have all of these language barriers, which is interesting that um, in the last century, and again, this is, I don't want to dive too deep in this, but um, linguists have studied and they can kind of um, trace all of the different languages back to three languages in the beginning, which would be um, in agreement with Shem, Ham, and Japheth and the descendants of them that were to scatter. And so again, that's a, that's a different discussion. I won't dive into that too deep. But it is fascinating. And, and so then w- God comes down, he confuses it. And why does he do that? He does it to protect them from not listening to them. He's sort of putting some things in place, much like he did whenever um, Adam and Eve were evicted from the Garden of Eden. Then he puts a gate there to protect mankind from being able to go back in to the Garden of Eden. Why? Because they would have eaten from the tree of life and it would have sustained them in their place of separation forever from God. And so God is in a way protecting mankind. He wants them to scatter. That was the original design. So they stopped building and they did exactly what the Lord wanted them to do. And that's what will happen in your life. Even though you may try to rebel from what God wants you to do, God will eventually get you exactly where he wants you. And so that's comforting to me to know as I look at the world, it is so messed up. I look at it and they're talking about all this crazy stuff and I, I feel like, man, things are just a mess and uh, just to, in a moment it could slip out over the edge and we could find ourselves in a world war. I've got two young sons And I remember times that I've watched movies, man, where you see, man, people's lives are upended in a moment. One of my sons is a Marine, and so it's a little bit nerve-wracking to to look at the world and go, man, like, this thing seems so fragile, but I'm encouraged to know that God is on top of it all. And regardless of uh, what takes place, the Lord is sovereign. He has his hand on my life, he has his hand on my son's lives, and he has his uh, hand on the affairs of the world. No matter how much we think that we are in control, the reality is we are not in control. And times like this prove it. <laughs> like, like we we're living in a time where um, you look at it and, and you go, "Man, how how can we correct this?" Now, there's something interesting and encouraging that happens at, in 640 BC. So 640 years before the arrival of Jesus, there's a prophet by the name of Zephaniah. He's one of the minor prophets, and he's raised up, and he makes a prophecy. And this is what the prophecy says in Zephaniah 3, verse 9. Then I will purify the lips of the peoples, that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him shoulder to shoulder. So here people are confused because they're rebelling from God. God confuses the languages, develops all these different people groups. We're thousands of years removed from that. And we have a prophecy 640 years before the time of Jesus that says that um, God will purify the lips of peoples and they will call on the name of the Lord and they will serve him shoulder to shoulder. Jesus arrives 640 years later. He begins to proclaim the good news of the gospel, that he has come to save Mankind from their sins; that all who call upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. And so, when he arrives, he's teaching the gospel, and um, we know that after he completes his ministry, that he uh, dies on the cross of Calvary. Um, the the disciples themselves are terrified that they're going to be executed like he is executed. They all are um, afraid, and they go into hiding. And so, as they're hiding and and retreated, then. Um, uh, after the three days, Jesus rises from the dead. He makes appearances to many of them, and over the course of the next um, forty days or so, he's interacting with people in his resurrected form. And he tells them uh, at one particular point, "He's like, I want you to go and I want you to wait for me." And when uh, and this is the last time he has an interaction with them, and he, and, and then he 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 ascends up into heaven. And so he says, I want you to wait, and when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, then you'll know what to do. So they all go into hiding, and they don't know what to do. They're afraid. And we get to Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, it is known as um, the day of Pentecost. So they're there in this place, they're not out, like the church doesn't exist at this point. The guys are afraid. Peter's afraid. He, you remember what he happened to him earlier. He had denied the Lord three times. And so he's terrified. People are, they know who they are. And so they're, they're worried that um, they're going to get arrested and the same thing's going to happen to them that happened to Jesus. Well, as they're in this room waiting um, uh, as, and following the instructions of the Lord, this event happens, and it says it's like a violent, violent rushing wind comes, and tongues of fire come resting upon them. And so, this is the infilling of the Holy Spirit all throughout Scripture, um, or all throughout the time of Jesus. He had taught them and made a promise to them that the Comforter, of the Holy Spirit, would come. And so, this is the arrival of the presence of God. He descends down upon these people in this room, and they come out of the streets. And they come out and they start preaching and they start teaching um, in the name of Christ. And as they're doing that, man, they're, they're people of all kinds of different descendants, um, all different people groups who speak all different kinds of languages. And they're, they're hearing the people um, preach the gospel. But the one guy is like, man, he, he speaks a different language. And he's like, I can understand this guy. And, and another guy doesn't speak that language. And he's like, I can understand these guys as well. And so that what? They see a miracle happen, and they ask the question: What in the world does this mean? What does this mean that I'm, uh, you know, uh, I'm Parthian and I can understand this guy speaking my language, and he's a Galilean? What in the world is going on in this moment? Well, Peter preaches a sermon. So Peter goes from being in hiding and worrying about his life being taken from him, like Jesus, he's out in the street. Man, he's a street preacher, and he's preaching the gospel. And I won't take time to preach the, the, the message or read through his sermon. It's found in Acts chapter 2, right after this event. But there are keys to his sermon. And here's, here's what the keys are. Everyone who calls on Jesus is saved. And so they say, well, he basically says, Jesus was the Messiah, and you guys murdered him. And they're like, well, what should we do? And he says, you should, be, you should repent. You should be baptized in Christ for forgiveness, and you should receive the Spirit in order that times of refreshing may come, that a transformation would happen in your life. And so they, 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 they do this. And so they go from 100 disciples, all of a sudden, I think it was about 3,000 people came to know Christ, all right? So here you have no church in hiding, Spirit of God falls down on mankind. Guys come out of the hiding. They're preaching in the streets. All these people who speak different languages can miraculously understand what they're saying. They repent, call upon the name of the Lord and for forgiveness of sins. And to that day, 3,000 souls were added and you have a church. No church, church. Like confusion, all of a sudden, they can understand one another. And we learn right after that that one of the things that marked them was that they were devoted to the word, they were devoted to fellowship, they were people of prayer, and it says they had all things in common. Even to the point that they would look and they'd go, man, this brother has a need, I got some extra money, I'm going to help him out. And so what, what is going on? They have the favor of the Lord and he adds to their number daily. What he does in this moment, God reverses the curse that happened at Babel. Okay? So they now can speak a common language. God confuses the language because they won't scatter and do what he, he, he wants them to do. They're in rebellion. They're making their own religion. They're focused on everything but God. So God confuses the whole thing. Then he says, I will reverse that confusion by giving you a common language, um, but the only way you can have it is if you call upon the name of the Lord. So here's your takeaways, and there's about six of them, and I'm going to roll through them rather quick. Here's the first one. Attempting unity without God leads to chaos and confusion. When you try to attempt unity without a relationship with Jesus, you will always end up with chaos and confusion. We see this uh, played out in a, all kinds of places. Um, we see it in government right now. We see that, man, people are trying to unify. If we could just get together, but we see that it just continues to get more and more chaotic. We see it in our country even. Our country used to be more unified and now it is just chaotic and confuse, confused. We can't seem to talk to each other. We are always talking past each other. We can't even elect a speaker of the house right now. It's ridiculous. And you've got these division, You've got these sides. Man, we're just split right down the middle. And I would say to you that they're all crazy. Like it's not, oh, the Democrats are doing great and the Republicans. Oh, you need to be a Republican. The Democrats are bad. Or, hey, man, they're all jacked up. And, and right now, I would even say the, the person, I have a respect for the office of presidency, the president. I pray for the president. But I don't think there's ever been a more incompetent person in that office in my lifetime. Like I'm confused. Like, like, what is going on? And so I, I'm looking for answers to this, and going, well, what the heck is the wrong? Wrong? We can't even find a Nimrod right now, right? <laughs> so, like, what what is what is wrong? Well, you can't uh, you can't achieve unity without God. It always leads to chaos and confusion. And so we see that in governments. We also it will it will happen in your home. I see it in in, in families a lot. One spouse. Well, all of a sudden, men, they'll get on fire for the Lord. And they'll want to follow Jesus, but the other spouse doesn't. And they'll, they'll, they'll start to have friction in their home. And generally, one of two things will happen. And hopefully and prayerfully, I pray over them that that one spouse will eventually turn to the Lord and get on fire for the Lord as well. And then when that happens, you see something incredible happen in the home. But sadly, more times than not, the other person who doesn't want to get involved in the things of the Lord, will pull that person out. And I've told Abby probably at least, I bet, I bet I've told her half a dozen to a dozen times over the last 10 years, I'm going to say, mark my word, that couple right there, within five years, they'll be divorced. And it happens. Why? Because they can't achieve unity when they're speaking a different language. This is why the Bible says, do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Why? Because an unbeliever speaks a different language than a believer. And so it's, it just leads to chaos and confusion. And, and again, I don't want to sound like I'm making a blanket statement. There are some people who have been involved in marriages with unbelievers, and they figured out how to make it work. And I know they're praying that that unbelieving spouse will, will um, t- eventually turn to the Lord. But the reality is they can't get on the same page and have as much unity as they um, desire to have because they're speaking a language that is totally contrary to one another. And the language of God brings about unity. This is why sometimes I can be um, walking around or at a ball game or something. I meet somebody, I start talking to them, they're a complete stranger. And within a few minutes, without ever having a spiritual conversation, I know this person is a believer. Why? because I can just tell, like the Spirit's leading and they're speaking from the same place that I'm coming from, and it's not very it doesn't take very long to discover that we have a mutual faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so human, why is that the case? Because God broke human language. He intentionally broke it because it was being used to rebel from him, and he didn't want people to rebel from him, so he's like, all right, like you're gonna rebel this way, boop and it's broken. And so we look at the world right now, and it is broken. And this is why people can't um, get on the same page. The language of God is the only real way to unify. That's your second takeaway. Now, God has sovereignly ordained this. He broke it, and then he fixed it, but he fixed it only when you have faith and trust in Jesus. That's the only way it can be fixed in your life. And I'm not saying that, hey, you can't communicate and you can't get along and you can't be civil. What I'm saying is you can't unify. You can't be one as we all desire to have oneness with other people, with with other groups of people. The only way to do it is by um, uh, speaking the language of God and understanding it. Now, what's interesting as a nation, we tend to unify when crises happen. Do you have a natural disaster, man? All of a sudden, we'll see all of these things go in, in, in place. And now on social media, man, it's like everybody's going to change their little banner thing or whatever. And it's going to show like pray for Florida, pray for this, pray for that. And then oh, here's a GoFundMe page. You can go and give to the, those people. And, and the Red Cross is taking money and we're sending money. And, and millions of dollars can be raised overnight when a crisis like that happens. Well, you go back to some of you uh, weren't alive when 9-11 happened. Um, m- many of you were, but that, w- that was a crazy time. Like, And you know what happened? I was, a, I was a young pastor. I'd only been pastoring about a year or so, and the church immediately filled up. Yeah, people coming from everywhere, man. They're like, we're going to go to war now. And people were really focused in attention or focusing their attention, and nothing will unify America like an attack on America. And, and so I, the same thing happened in Oklahoma around um, the, the bombing. I was, I was in college in 1995. I heard that bomb go off, and, and I drove by that building and saw half of it blown away, and it was amazing, man. The whole country poured its attention on um, Oklahoma. And say, pray for Oklahoma. The leaders came, man. And we're just working with one another, man. The president came. Billy Graham came to Oklahoma. Everybody in the, uh, and the, every, people all over the world were focused on what happened in Oklahoma. And so we unify around a crisis. Why? Because we're afraid and we turn to God in prayer. Even people that do not know God start trying to speak the language of God. And so you have people all of a sudden in this place of fear, they start to act out what they carry inside of them, which is the imago day. We are all image bearers of God. So we're all, even the person who never talks about spiritual things is like, man, we need to pray. And they show up in church often, many of them. And, and so uh, we see this happens. It happens a lot. You'll see it on a micro level. You'll see it happen to a guy. He's he's wild. He's strung out, man. He He's chasing women and just boozing it up, man. He's a partier. And all of a sudden, man, he finds out he's got a health issue. And you'll see him in the word following Jesus like you've never seen him before. Why? Because He's afraid. He's afraid. Um, and, and that, that's understandable, but the unity as a nation often fades as people are desensitized to the trauma, and they begin to stop turning to the Lord, okay? So what happens is we see this ebb and flow, and I've seen it over my lifetime, several times happen uh, nationally to us. Here's the next takeaway. To speak and understand God's language, you must possess his spirit and submit to his word, okay? You can get around it, And you can try to like function like you know the language of God, but the reality is to be able to speak it and understand it, you must possess his spirit. This is clearly taught by Peter in his first sermon, and it's not some kind of secret prayer language. It is the spirit of God lives in you. When the Spirit of God lives in you, then you start functioning by what Paul teaches us, um, the fruit of the Spirit, which is found in Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 um, and, and through 26. He says, You don't walk according to the flesh, you walk according to the spirit. What is according to the spirit? You've got love coming out of you, you got joy coming out of you, you got um, kindness and gentleness and, and all of these things that are coming out of you that are not deeds of the flesh. And you're starting to speak the language of the kingdom and the the Lord is starting to control you. And so as far as a nation goes, we are so far from this that we are teetering on the brink of implosion. That's why it feels this way. That's why if we look at the world, and you go, man, what's going to happen? And I just tell you, I have absolutely no idea. I don't have near the confidence that America is going to be the, a, a superpower uh, 20 years from now, like I did when I was 20 years old. When I was 20 years old, I didn't think about it at all. But right now, I'm like, what is going on? What is going on is that when we look at our nation, it is not the same as it used to be. It has not always been this way. There was a time in history when more of our leaders understood and spoke the language of God. Like, we look at senators and and congressmen and and leaders that were leading um, uh, different movements, uh, whether it be... um, civil rights movements or, or other things, we see, man, they understood and spoke the language of God. And that's what made like people like Martin Luther King Jr. so such a powerful uh, world changer, is he understood and spoke the language of God. And he was able to make a world of difference because he was listening to what the Lord said and trying to walk that out in his life. And so what's the problem? Well, there are many Americans that uh, claim to be Christian. You do a, you look at any um, polling that has gone on, and you'll see that most of America believes that they're Christian. <laughs> so, what's the problem? W- w- why, why can't we find any leaders that when we listen to them talk, we get inspired a little bit? I mean, Democrat or Republican. I'm just like, what is going on, man? Some of you young people need to answer the call and start preparing yourself and try to get down in there and change this mess. Amen. Amen. Not going to be me, though. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it would be at some point in time, but I'm trying to do what the Lord has called me to do. Some, like, like, we need some leaders, so what's the problem? We, here's the problem. Claiming belief in Jesus while walking in the flesh is to babble. When you claim that you believe in Christ, but you walk in the flesh, you're a babbler. Babble means to confuse by mixing. And so Nimrod, that's what he was leading. He's like, come, his name literally means, come, let us rebel. But he said, come, let us build a city, a name for ourselves, and a tower to the heavens where we can worship. He's leaving, what did God say? go and scatter. He says, come, let us gather. Let us stay together. Let us be something and make a name for ourselves. And so God confused the language so that people cannot unify without his language and his word. And so when we look at the world and we go, man, what, 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 what's going to happen? Well, there are only three possibilities, I think, um, for the, the future of um, the, the, the world as it is right now and the future of America. I'm not prophesying. I'm just using some good judgment and my knowledge of the word. Is One is that we will no longer be a superpower, and the world is going to go through a crazy disruption, um, and we will be involved like, um, I, I think the possibility is we, that could turn us around, I should say, a possibility would be that we in, have a war. And people are going to freak out, man, and they're going to get serious about what they believe, and, and they're going to be really concerned. Uh, the second um, option is that uh, Jesus returns. Like, he returns and cleans the whole, whole mess up. And the third option is that we have a revival. A revival not like in our church and go, oh man, look at our church is growing. I think we're having a revival. No, a global revival that sweeps across the globe and people begin to humble themselves. And and God says that when when nations do that, he will heal them, okay? So that's the only possibility going forward. And so what what can we do? What can we do um, to bring about unity? Well, as believers, we should be able to communicate in the midst of all this chaos. Whether we're talking to unbelievers or believers, Like nobody should be communicating better than the believers. And so we ought to be achieving things here on the planet. Our church ought to be growing and for us to be obedient and walk this out, man, we, we ought to be walking this out in such a way as that people go, look, man, I can, I can see something special that is happening over in that um, group of people. They seem to be a, a achieving a level of unity because we're speaking the language of God. We're not speaking the language of the flesh. We're not walking in the flesh. We're not babbling. So therefore, God is beginning to uh, move in our midst. But we also have to understand that no matter how unified we get and no matter how much unity we bring to the world, people will never be completely unified until Jesus sits on His throne, it just never will be. It, it will be disrupted, and, and we can have ebbs and flows. And I pray that we have some kind of a revival. Um, but you I, you don't need me to tell you that the world is a mess. Just pay attention; it's a mess, um, and it's it's really strange. And so I I pray that um, we would be the kind of people that are bringing about a difference. This is what Jesus said, though, about achieving unity. And I bring that up because, like, man, <laughs> that's what's going on. You've got um, Putin and, and Chi and the and, uh, nutcase from North, North Vietnam. You got them all aligning together and talking about having a new world order, right? <laughs> and then you got America and all their allies, and, and they're, trying to, what, they're, they're trying to achieve unity around that. And we hope that they will win, but the reality is the only way that we can actually achieve unity, Jesus said this, we're speaking about his return, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And the moral of that story is it's bad to be a goat, (laughs) okay? (laughs) <laughs> what is Jesus talking about? He say, "Men, when I come and sit on my throne, I will sh- I will separate the people that can speak my language from the people who cannot. The people who understand my language from the people who do not." He said, many people will come to me in that day and say, Lord, didn't we do this? And didn't we prophesy in your name and heal people in your name and, and do all these good works in your name? And he said, depart from me. I never knew you. What does he mean? I never had any conversations with you. You don't understand my language and you don't understand me. You built something else that didn't have anything to do with me and you tried to stamp my name on it. And that won't work. And so the, the Jesus is separating That And that's the only time we will actually come to a place in the world where we have unity. And so what in the world should we do? People in whom the Spirit dwells. Well, that gives us our last takeaway. Citizens of the kingdom speak and live the king's language until that day. We just got to be really active in understanding, man, it's important that I'm speaking the language of the kingdom, that I'm acting like a citizen of the kingdom, This is all taught just before the call of Abraham, which would be the seed of how God would make him into a great nation. There are two lines of humanity. Those who make a name for themselves and those whom God will make a name in the call of Abraham. He says in the Revelation, I'll give you a new name. A new name written on your heart. Ironically, when we look at what Jesus calls us to do, after he rises from the dead and he says, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you, what does he say? Go ye therefore and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have taught you. Go. Don't, don't gather, scatter. I will reverse Babel. I will give you a language in the power of the Spirit to bind you together. Go ye therefore and make disciples. And one of the hardest things for people to do often is to go. And one of the hardest things it seems to be that believers often say is, man, we get comfortable in a group and you don't want to multiply out and go. But he says, go and make disciples. And what we have to understand is if we ignore this mission, we're building our own towers of Babel. We're mixing things from the kingdom with things of the flesh in order to keep ourselves comfortable. So the big idea is don't babble. Don't be a babbler, man. Go out there and be a believer and speak the language of the kingdom. Understand and submit to his word. You could be the key to revival sweeping across this land. When men try to make their name great, we end up with a curse. But when Jesus makes our name great, we become a blessing. So don't be a babbler. Go out and be a blessing. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word that speaks with clarity about the like the state of the world affairs. We thank you that you hold it all in your hands. That we don't have to be nervous. That Like, like you are sovereign and in control. And so, Lord, all of this upsets us, may you teach us to understand our role as citizens of the kingdom. Help us not to babble. Help us to recognize when we start babbling, when we start babbling in our relationships, when we start babbling in the home, help us to be willing to be humble and repent of that, We'll come back to this place of the Spirit, to walk in the fullness thereof, that the world may understand what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, to be filled with the power and the language of God, to be transformed in something into something Lord that brings about a transformation in others. And may we go and share the good news of the gospel, with every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe you need to come forward and pray about something in your life. Maybe you've been babbling about some things. This past week, it kind of hit me. I got a little frustrated in my home and recognized that I was babbling. Just acting and operating, functioning out of the flesh and I had to repent before the Lord. And that's what we do, man. The word says if we are faithful to confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so I don't want to, I want to live from that place. I want to live from the freedom of the spirit. And so maybe in your life, you need to have a time of repentance where you say, man, I've been babbling. I need to quit babbling and start being a blessing and live out my faith. And so I'd invite you to come. There'll be people here to pray with you. Or maybe you just come and use the stages and altar and lay something down before the Lord. Maybe you need to call, and call on the name of the Lord for the first time in your life. Nobody can call on the Lord for you. You have to call on him yourself. And if he's calling on you to give your life to him, call upon him, believe, repent, be saved, and be baptized. What are you waiting on? Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at overlandpark.cc.